0: This episode is called Allow the Magic to Disappear. Candy Gawley was the first pre-published writer I discovered on the internet a dozen years ago, writing about her experiences in her blog Notes from the Slush Pile. Since then, she's published three young adult novels and a series of picture books, and she's been shortlisted for the Carnegie Medal, which is the biggest UK prize for children's books. So how did she make the leap? This episode is all about how to find your place as a writer – and what it takes to be ready to submit your manuscript. We recorded this conversation in September 2019. Links to the resources we mention are listed in the show notes, so do look them up if you want to find out more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Today I'm here with Candy Gourlay, who I have known about for definitely 12 or 13 years now, probably more. Um, since I started following her amazing blog Notes from the Slush Pile, which kept me going while I was an unpublished writer. And we're going to talk about what is usually um, the last session that I do when I'm teaching at City Uni, and that is getting published. Uh, Because I know everyone always tries to imagine getting to that stage. Um, And it's complicated, so uh, we'll discuss our experience at that candy is the writer of tall story which came out in 2010 um and won the crystal kite prize and was shortlisted for how many prizes was it shortlisted for candy? 13 prizes okay 13 prizes it did quite I well i didn't win any of them <laughs> <laughs> yes but it was wonderful it was it was a real publishing phenomenon uh, and then shine came out in 2013 and bone talk in 2018 which again did very well did it actually win the, the Costa Children's? Um, no,
1: unfortunately it didn't.
0: Oh, but yeah. it was definitely shortlisted for that. Yes, wasn't it was it?
1: shortlisted for that.
0: And the Carnegie as well. Um, and how would you describe yourself? To... But you're also a panelist, aren't you? You were telling me recently that all the panels that you've been on this week, even.
1: Oh, I've been in so many panels this week. It's like it's been panel week for me. Um, and on Saturday, I'm going to be at a book trust event, which is about mentoring, um, mentoring uh, authors of colour.
0: Wonderful. Is that something that you do or something that you uh, are connected into a sort of a network of other people?
1: Uh, It's not something I do. It's just I I get I get invited to 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 speak Um, at the very beginning of my career when there were really very, very few people of color on the children's book scene. Yeah. Uh, people were starting to talk about at the time. It was called multiculturalism. Yeah. In books, and uh, I didn't get invited to. I was unknown, and I didn't get invited to many conferences. But I did get invited to all the panels on multicultural books. So I, which I didn't know anything about. I don't don't know about multiculturalism. I I come from the Philippines. <laughs> we have one culture over there. Well, we, we're we're diverse as well. But you know, I didn't come from a background where I could spout about racism and that yeah. kind of thing so I had to actually learn about it um, which is one of the things that I always advise new writers to do is figure out what your story is and learn about it because you're <laughs> going to be asked about it over and over and over and over again
0: okay let's do some practice what is your story Candy Gourlay? <laughs>
1: what is my story well apparently it's about being an author of color
0: okay I would just said that you're a North London author <laughs> You write some interesting books based in Philippine culture, but yeah. Well, on. isn't that funny?
1: Because when when I started, actually, I I didn't know very much when I when I started. I was as clueless as everybody. And, you know, I uh, we moved in a world that I totally accepted. If you go to Waterstones, if you go to any of the bookstores, there were no books by people of color. Yeah. And I didn't question that. I don't, I don't know why. I, I Well, you know, I just arrived from the Philippines, so I wasn't exactly like about to stand with a Uh, picket anybody or go and strike or anything. So I just accepted that. And I thought, I want to be published. But there are no books by people who look like me. So I started to write, but the books that I wrote, all had white characters, you know, I had, I wrote so many stories and sent them out and, uh, and tried to hide my background. I didn't try to tell people who I, where I came from, because I thought that was an, a disadvantage that I would never, you know, you go to a bookstore and you see there are no Filipino authors on the shelves. Of course, you think no one's going to publish me.
0: I was reading um, this lovely thing, You Can't Be What You Don't See. And oh, I, I like that. That yes.
1: an actual book.
0: No it's it's a phrase that people are now sharing I think oh, I've um, never heard that before in in the women's empowerment world that I I like to live in then I think that's a big thing so yeah,
1: yeah well you can't be what you can't see I wanted to be an author but there were no authors who looked like me so so I started to write I wrote one novel um well after years of getting rejected with picture books I thought well picture books are really hard let me try writing a novel and I thought if I wrote every day, I would end up with a novel at the end of the year. And, um, yeah. but it, it wasn't that easy. And it took me five years, especially because I was still at the stage where I was having babies and the babies just needed a nappy changing endlessly hour, so
0: frustratingly hour after hour, <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: nappy after nappy, after nappy, after nappy. And so, um, so I wrote this novel and it took me a long time and, um, I sent it out to publishers, um, and it was rejected everywhere. But one, one agent actually uh, talked to me about it. She said, I really enjoyed your book. It had a nice twist at the end. I liked your characters and you're kind of funny. And, I, and she said, but there's a problem. And I said, well, what's the problem? Why did you reject me if you really liked the book? Mm. And she goes, well, you know, you're from the Philippines. And I thought, oh, is that racism? <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't sure because I hadn't experienced much racism yeah. in my existence here in in the UK. So she
0: thought you thought she was going to say, "I'm not publishing your book because you were from the first.
1: yeah." And and she said, "No. Well, look at the story and look at you. A first book. This would be your debut. If it came out, it would be your your story is about uh, an Englishman, a little boy who's an English boy. Their best friends. The Englishman is dying. It's about a story. It was a story about." Uh, uh, you know they say that when you die you're going to see your whole life flash before your eyes
0: yes
1: the boy finds himself in the life of his friend so his friend is an old man who was a soldier in world war Two, and one moment he's an ordinary kid the next moment he finds himself parachuting into world war 2 he's got to fight to get back to his own time i mean it's a time slip novel yeah. and um and the agent said to me, "It's an, he's an Englishman, it's set in London, it's an English war, and you will be a Filipino author. There's a disconnect, how am I supposed to explain that? And I thought really hard about it, you know, and if you think about it in a certain way, it's kind of racist to say that because I'm from the Philippines, I can only write Filipino characters and yes, stories set I in the philippines that. that's not fair right but i but i realized that she'd actually she actually had her finger on the problem with my writing the problem with my writing was i wasn't really committing to i wasn't really giving enough of myself yeah i was afraid to reveal very much about myself and that was part of the that was part of the the, the stories were shallow um and i learned i i, I tell this to every uh Every uh, school visit that I do, when I visit schools and I talk about writing, I tell them that moment taught me something. And it taught me that it's not what uh, you you hear from creative writing instructors, write what you know. You know, they say, write what you know. It's not just write what you know, it's write who you are. And the truth was at that stage in my career, I didn't want anyone to know who I was because I didn't feel that my experiences were valid like they weren't worth putting out there.
0: Yeah, you hadn't seen them validated anywhere else? No, I and
1: suppose. I hadn't seen experiences like mine in any books yeah. anywhere. So I I was I was holding back. And actually she unlocked something because then I did start looking at my life and thinking, well what can I talk about? What you know, exploring, asking questions, really going back into my own experiences. I wrote this book and I thought,
0: hey, wait a minute. I,
1: I think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, uh, and it finished and uh, sent it off to publishers. But it was rejected everywhere. Um, but the rejections were different because the rejections were from the publishers actually wrote back. And the publishers said things like, I was moved. It made me cry. This is beautiful. And yet they still rejected it.
0: Yeah, there are different qualities of rejection, aren't there? There is the there is the very polite. This is not for us, and then there's the sort of the next level, and then sometimes there's a whole page of notes, isn't there? So. Yes, Was was this when you were writing notes from the slush pile then?
1: I was writing notes from the... Throughout this whole thing, I was writing notes from the slush pile. Um, Notes from the slush pile is a blog uh, for people who are aspiring to get published. And having been a journalist in my other life in the Philippines, um, finding myself here in the UK, bringing up babies, I needed something that would be more stimulating, that would help me do stuff that I used to do. I, I loved the deadline and it was so satisfying blogging because I would go and attend a talk and then I would have something that and it was all for myself really and to my surprise people started to follow the blog which was really I didn't really expect that.
0: People like me I was sitting in my <laughs> spare room in South London and I was writing and I was getting my rejections and I felt, I was part of my library writing group, but they were a bit strange. And I felt really lonely that people just didn't get what I was doing at all. And I didn't have an, a sort of online community that I could reach out to. And I found you, (laughs) I found Notion Slushpad, and I thought, I am not alone. It was, it was a real lifeline. But it's so funny, isn't it? Because
1: I was all by myself on the other side, (laughs) just kind of, uh, you know, in between nappies and asthma attacks and, you know, whatever my children did, which was sometimes disgusting. Um, I was just, like, churning out this blog, and it was so satisfying having something at the end of the day.
0: I guess before we get to that stage, we should probably talk about um, getting the book finished so that you're ready to send the manuscript off. Um, One of the things I've talked about before in the podcast series is what I call the dirty draft, but just getting to the end of your first draft and sometimes it can take people years to do that and that's quite normal. I think I'm fine. Um, So let's assume that somebody's managed to do that and they've put it away in a drawer for a while and they've gone back to it Um, and maybe they've rewritten the whole thing. and they're starting to lose faith in the work, um, how do they keep going? Huh,
1: oh, you know, I call it the ugly draft. That's my ugly okay. draft. I've promised my my uh, publisher an ugly draft by, uh, an ugly draft, half of an ugly draft by before Christmas.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's important to use the word ugly. <laughs>
0: It's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah vomit, dirty. dirty. Yeah, yes. Some people call it the vomit draft.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because you have to write the draft in order to make it pretty. You can't actually, unless you have something there, you've got nothing to edit. Yes. So uh, the first stage is to make something. Um, and one of my problems is I, tr- I I don't like the ugly part and I want to make it pretty. I don't
0: think you're alone
1: the first time it comes out and it's just you, you can't actually it's really i always i'm always amazed that i write something and i think oh this is brilliant and when i come back to it again a few weeks later i can still make it better and i think people who stop there uh, are missing a trick because it's really fantastic when you realize oh my god I can make this it's going to another level it's amazing Um, but how do you keep at it because the spirit is battered by this stage isn't it
0: I think so if you've if you've worked on it hard enough for it to be really good you've probably Lost sense of where you're going with it. So, do you have friends that you send it out to at that stage? Do you I have, have a, a, a I have a
1: group. group. So I've had I have had groups over the years, and um, they've become very dear friends. Um, and these are people who I trust to see my ugly writing. I don't like my editor seeing much of my ugly writing because I'm convinced they will, you know, they will cancel my contract or something. But I have uh, my friends who I meet once a month. And I will bring an ugly chapter. And what I want them to say is not, your ugly chapter is really great. That's not what I want to hear. Mm. I, want the, I want to hear things from them like, um, you've got to work on this character more... You would have more suspense if you did this. Um, You could, uh, you know, kind of brainstormy stuff, structural stuff, not nitty gritty stuff, not you should have used this word and not that word. Not this sentence is the wrong, uh, you know, not change subject predicate. It's not that kind of editing, more like a uh, really really broad brush stuff because one of the things we don't have when we're immersed in our stories is we don't have that kind of um that magic eye that can see the whole project from above and that's what the outside reader can can do for you. But they have to be trusted readers.
0: Yeah, I find there are some people who just, whatever they say about my writing, I value their opinion. And it really pushes me forward. And there are others who, in real life, I absolutely love.
1: (laughs) So do you show it to your husband?
0: (laughs) Well, funnily enough, through sheer accident, you know, up to now, I've been writing for Teenage girls, and yeah, I do. My husband turns out to be the first person who I trust, the oh. first and only one. So he gets to see the beginning of everything. And I don't show it to him until it's kind of really going. But it was fascinating with the most recent book. And normally he goes, Yeah, this is great, keep going, that's lovely. With the most recent book I was working on, um, I'd been working on it for several weeks, and I was, I was quite happy with the early chapters and ready enough to send them to him, and I did. he didn't really say anything and then I kind of reminded him and he said you know what they're not your best work they kind of they read like somebody who hadn't published anything before and was trying a bit too hard (gasps) and this is book 11 (laughs) and if you include my unpublished books this is book 15 and how do
1: you take that
0: I trusted him I thought you didn't get angry no uh, not for a minute I thought, what have I done wrong? Because I wasn't absolutely sure it was brilliant. I thought, what have I done wrong? And I couldn't tell, so I didn't do it for ages. I I was doing other things. I was doing a teacher training course kind of thing. I focused on that and I didn't go back to it until I was ready. And there were about four lines in the several thousand words that I'd given to him that I was confident were funny and were what I meant to say. And I used those. And I built that from there. And then I gave it to him again. I was really nervous. And he said, yeah, you've got it this time. This is it. Oh, wow. So that's I still a, trust him. I trust him even that's more That's a now.
1: testament to your relationship, isn't it? It's, it really is about, it's not just trust. It's um, like, I, I never show it to my, I never show anything I do to my husband yeah. until it's a book.
0: Well, my father won't read my work until it appears in, published covers but do you want him to read it? he's them? hugely supportive well actually with the new one he's he's one of my um my research sources so actually the new one's different but with up until now it's fine you know that that's how he wants to appreciate them and he's he's very but do you want to life. you
1: want him to read it while it's still in, in i don't progress.
0: mind i don't mind actually no that that's fine um but yes i have, I have some writer friends who i I would automatically send it to, and others who, you know, I just think, actually, I am i don't think their voice is, you know, is quite the same as mine, and I don't think that would be quite the right thing. Some editors I've worked with have been, I've just been super grateful for everything they have to say. Others, it's been like, I think you want to write a different book from me. Um, so trust is essential but but having somebody that you can use as a sounding board is yeah
1: yeah well I I never show it to my husband because uh I just you know I just know that if he just says one tiny thing I would be devastated and I would not be able to move forward so congratulations you and your husband (laughs) can do it Um, and even my 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 publisher I need to trust my publisher my sorry sorry um Anthony and David (laughs) um because I I don't I, I, They have a thing, my publisher, where if you send them a draft, they will share it to everybody in the office, the secretary, everybody, uh, yeah. the publicist, okay. and then everyone's read your terrible words. And I kind of feel like a book is, when it's still being made, when it still hasn't got the spit, it's not just the spit and polish, but it hasn't, for a very, very long time, a book will not have a soul. Yes. And when it doesn't have a soul I don't want anyone to see it but most publishers will want to (laughs) at least look at a draft so that they know what they're working with because of course it's their investment but I don't want them to share it with everyone in the office it's really terrifying it's interesting
0: because you can never read it for the first time a second time can you? Um, so if you already kind of think you know it then you're coming to it with a very different eye and I've always found with mine as well the themes that come out of the finished version that seemed to be what i was trying to say all along are not the themes that i had in mind when i was writing the first draft exactly so something uh, else has happened that's why you need the dirty draft because the dirty draft
1: gets you to empty the the creative stuff in your mind of what you think the story is so yeah. you need to get rid of all of that put yes. them all on a page and when it's real when it's real words on a. On, a, on sheets of paper, you can look at it and then you can ask yourself, what am I really trying to say?
0: And something and else comes out of yeah, it. Yeah, I always
1: find that I'm asking a different question. So when, when I, when I finish the first draft, I think I've written a book about, I don't know, whatever. And then I look at it and I think, oh, my God, you know, I'm actually thinking about something else and something and you look at that and you say oh my question is this and then when you rewrite it you ask the, that question over and over and that usually is how the final book yeah.
0: comes out when i was writing love song i was working with bella pearson who you've worked with too that's my editor, <laughs> <laughs> lovely Bella, and, and i had that very special experience with, with bella usually it's me who, who works out oh it's not what you thought it was or something else Um, but with Love Song, it was Bella. And I I was talking to you earlier and, um, she sat me down one day and sort of made sure I was sitting comfortably and said, you know, you know, you think that you want to write a thriller. (laughs) This is not a thriller. Uh, please take out all the thriller bits and, and work on the other bits in between. And she was absolutely right. And yes, it was a very delicate love story. Um, and exactly that once i knew that's what it was then i made it very very much that and then it was a question of enriching that idea that i hadn't really had at the beginning i didn't want it to be a love story at all in fact its original title was going to be this is not a love story um
1: (laughs) which is a book by karen david by the way which is why mine
0: is not called this is not a
1: love story (laughs) (laughs) but it's 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 funny that um uh, when when bella was on her on her maternity leave i was edited by simon mason at david fickling mm-hmm. and i submitted a dirty draft like not a dirty draft it was an ugly 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 draft and i was like i came to the meeting after i'd sent it in waiting for and looked at simon thinking he's going to he's going to fire me and say we made a mistake you're really we don't want to give you the money for this book um and he didn't he he sat me down he paid for the bill for the for lunch, which was really good. That
0: always helps with authors. It, it
1: really helps, yeah. And and uh, and he sat me down and said, "Look, you can't approach editing this book. You can't." He said, "I should not go into the book and try to fix it." <laughs> Clearly, it needed fixing. Um, he said, "Don't try to fix it. Look at what's great about it." Uh-huh. And then he spent the next twenty minutes telling me. What was great about this really ugly book? He said, yeah. "I like this character. I like this moment." He just kept telling me all these nice things, and because I trust him, and because he didn't, I knew that he was telling the truth. I could see that what he was saying was true, and so I, I went home knowing what was good about the book, and changed it, and that's what became Shine. Oh. So that 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 was a that was. That was that's the way to edit that's yes. fantastic isn't it
0: I've had that also from um, that there's a sort of a writer's group that I have always been sort of involved with through Facebook just a small group and I remember Susie day giving me a very similar thing where I I sent it out saying this is terrible I cannot write it anymore I just wasted six months and she did exactly that she put me back together and it was, it was patchy, the point of view changed, the tense changed, all sorts of things. It was just like, there's a bit of this, there's a bit of that. And she did exactly that. She said, this is what's great about it. And that gave me the courage to go on. And so one thing I, I do say in my, my getting published um, class is find those people. And you kind of, you know where, who they are. You just, you know when you know whether you can trust someone. Although
1: I, I think some people don't know because oh, yeah? some people are looking for flattery. They're looking for approval. You have to go beyond looking for approval. You have to, it's, it's the, that whole business of being so immersed in your story. If you can find someone who is also immersed, they will come back to you with comments that don't feel like, They're criticizing your creative vision because they're just as they're living the story the way you are.
0: That's true, actually. But equally, come to think of it, I've come across people who are trying really hard to be published who can be very masochistic about it. Go the other way; they want to be criticized. They want to change it all the time, and there can be a huge danger that you spend three years changing, you know, asking nineteen people for their opinion, doing what nineteen people say, and absolutely losing the soul of it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it
1: it, it requires a kind of self-awareness. You have have to be self-aware. The people reading the text have to be just as aware. They have to know enough about what it means to write a story to give you advice. Say, oh, I know you're going to probably change these sentences, but maybe uh, you could, the tone, you know, and the comments don't have, you know that thing they say, uh, it's like, it's like uh, moving the deck chairs while the Titanic is yeah. sinking. You know, don't move deck chairs, for goodness sake. Yes, I think um, going back
0: to what you were saying before, it does need to be the big things. And actually something that, that I, I say to people when we're workshopping live is it's really helpful if in a workshop. People say how it made them personally feel, but don't give advice so usually we all know how to fix something if we agree that it's a problem. What's helpful is to see it's a problem. And often you find that in a, in a big workshop, six people will, will really feel the same thing. And we can't see it in our own work, but we can see it in other people's. We tend to agree with each other. And so uh, it was, well, when you, when you read that bit out, um, I felt confused. And I felt that I was losing track of who was who. And that's really helpful, as opposed to, well, what I think you should do is make this character do this and that character do that. And that just makes everybody's hackles rise. It's like, well, I don't want to do it that way. It's like
1: telling someone how they're supposed to write a very, it's a very personal thing. And actually, critique is not criticism. It's, It's reaction, really. You know, you want someone to read it and say, I was really into this until the moment when this character just began to endlessly describe (laughs) something, you know, which happens. And you need that. You need to know the moments when they're taken out of the fictive dream into kind of whatever exposition you decided to go into. That's what they're looking for. I'm actually just... I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment where that's just happened, where this beautiful writing, great characters, and then suddenly this entire chapter explaining some some contemporary event i I had to stop reading because and i think what i'll do is i'll skip it and go on to the next chapter because it's beautifully written it's just that they just wanted to explain it's so important don't explain anything
0: (laughs) yes just feel it show it um so you have to find your group of people who are going to see you through this hard time when you when you've lost faith in the book. Oh, and that reminds me, actually, there's something I I wanted to um, point people in the direction of, and with the podcast, we will put links underneath to it. And it's a recent survey by the Royal Society of Literature called Money, Time, Confidence, What Writers Need to Thrive. Um, And it points out that Virginia Woolf said a writer needs a room of one's own and £500 a year. (laughs) And I'd forgotten about the £500 a year. And they said in today's money, that's £30,000. And I think that's very true. If we all had our own room and 30 grand, we would be completely fine, but we don't. Um, so in addition to the, the money, goodness, how we'd get hold of that. Um, what was it saying? 67% of writers who, um, professional writers who filled out their survey, earn less than 10,000 pounds a year from writing. So it's not exactly 30 grand.
1: I often earn less than 10,000. I often yeah. not pay taxes.
0: And you it. are Carnegie shortlisted And uh,
1: like, I had a very good year last year and I didn't pay any taxes because I didn't earn enough money. I mean, as children's authors, we're really lucky because we have, uh, we, can, we can do school visits. So schools pay us to come in and, you know, like teachers and do presentations. And that can keep you, in you know that can keep your you your children in socks
0: but anyway so in this world that we've been talking through we haven't even got the person through the publishing stage yet we're already saying it doesn't pay well it doesn't pay well um you have to do it for the love of it so let's assume you've you've got your writers group they've got you through your beyond your dirty draft into something that's really tightly edited that you're really proud of and you're ready to send it off to <sighs> an agent yes well or are you going to send it off to an agent or are you going to self-publish it? What do we think?
1: Well times have changed haven't they I mean there was a time when self-publishing was the thing that you know it was a vanity thing um, but times really have changed because one of the things that uh, authors have realized is that they actually can do it all they can uh, they don't have to share uh, to share the production of their book with a publisher because now you can upload it to Amazon it can then get on a on the shop front in Amazon it was it might find its reader
0: it and you might possible. get 70p in the pound from what you
1: you might get 70p in the pound instead of, what is what do we earn as traditionally Between published?
0: 7 and 8%. Yes, yeah. Between... 39,
1: 30, 39p for every 7.99 is what yeah, I read the exactly. other day. Yeah, exactly.
0: I think when I did the massive work out of that, people are really shocked by that. Yeah, so
1: if you go to on a school visit and you manage to sell 10 copies of your book, you will earn £3.90, which is less than it costs to take the... the underground to that school where you did your presentation yeah. so
0: it's, it really pays for, From mental health point of view it pays never to do the maths as a don't do the maths <laughs> just doesn't add up um oh no we keep on getting distracted by by the reality let's let's try not to talk about money. Self-publishing, self-publishing is an option you can do it through Amazon, or well we Pro. were talking
1: about your brilliant idea the other uh, just just now just before that we started recording and I thought and you said well you know if nobody wants this book uh, I could self-publish it and yes you can but do you want to?
0: I don't want to I don't want to have to spend my life marketing. And that seems to be how successful... And there are successful self-published authors out there. It seems to be that they spend at least half their time, don't they? But half they love
1: year. it. So there are yeah. people who are really good at it and who will lo- who just love doing it yeah. and clearly are really uh, so prolific that they can do that and write books. Yeah.
0: And if you can, then you can make a lot of money out of it and you have the control. I think it's hard, probably harder for children's books because still a lot of the industry is based around printed books and that's harder. Yes. I think,
1: uh, this afternoon so I've just is. been looking at um, Egmont yeah. has a a, a a bit of their website devoted to research and in according to their research, tiny, tiny, uh, there's a very right. tiny amount of reading done by children on digital. Yeah. Uh, you
0: would have thought they'd be early adopters of the technology, nope, but they're, they're not. not. No, they, they just aren't. So there's that and there's the fact that bookshops will be loath to stock it unless they happen to be your local bookshop probably and reviewers often have a no self-published books policy um and so if you want you can use it as a stepping stone potentially can't you to finding getting a publisher's attention um but if you if you want to be part of that world if you want to see it reviewed and things then it's there, is, so there is a lot
1: more openness though it's not all doom and gloom because like um, I know that some uh, books, bookshops, I, I know a couple of bookshops, not all, like a couple of bookshops yeah. in London that will stock uh, a local author's self-published book. They will do it because they, they know that the local author will attract uh, readers. Yeah. Um you know, if you're a children's, we're talking children's authors here. Um, And the other day at the bookseller conference, I saw a talk by the BBC, CBB's Bedtime Stories program. Mm -hmm. Um, And they said they will look at, uh, you can pitch them a self-published book. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And they'll consider it for their uh, bedtime story show where they get celebrities to read a bedtime story. Um, So, so the, it, the attitudes are changing and I have I a lot of respect for people who decide to go down that path. But I'm afraid the statistics are against you if you are writing children's books yeah. because children don't read digital books Distribution is really difficult and expensive if you are creating picture books, for example. Yeah. Um, and you you're, it's, it's, it will be. You will have to be a really, really determined and entrepreneurial person.
0: And if you do. are, it might work. But if you want to go down the printed route, who is going to st- store these books? There's a cost for that. You have to think through the whole process of it. You will be an entrepreneur.
1: There's crowdfunding too.
0: There's, that's true, actually, and I, 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 I'm crowdfunding a couple of friends' books at the moment, and it's really exciting. But it tends to be fairly small print runs.
1: Yes. So if you you could crowdfund on what's is it called on Unbound? Yes. Unbound exactly. So, and and then the the book is published once the money has been raised. But this is like. It feels a little bit like um, you know when people are i'm going to I'm going to be running every day in the forest if, uh, to, for cancer if you put money into it feels a little bit like that. so I don't know if it will be satisfying it's satisfying for some people, but it might not be enough for someone who's really looking for um, affirmation about their children's writing.
0: Yes, it depends what you're doing. I mean again, another thing I say to people is, do you need to be published because a lot of great writers don't need to be published and that's completely fine and they, they write beautiful stories for their family and friends who appreciate them and that is absolutely valid too um i think we're talking to the people who who do want that kind of affirmation really aren't we um
1: but there there are other avenues that are not not children's uh, not traditional children's publishers but for example charities i have friends who have begun to write uh they, they pitch the books or they're commissioned by charities to create picture books, for example, uh for the, the charity. Um and these are widely read books. Oh that's wonderful. Yeah, widely distributed yes. because of whatever depending on the charity. And very worthy and um uh And it will. It's that's another worthwhile thing. There are many, many avenues for writing, besides uh, whatever you know. Besides the traditional routes. Yeah,
0: I must say that the students that I've had who've really gone on to get some success are the ones who just try everything, go to every meet the agent meeting or uh, uh, enter every relevant competition and um, talk to network with anyone they can find and take any avenue seriously. Um, and it can take. still take years. Took me years. Took you years, I think.
1: Nine um, years. Ten how years. many years? You <laughs> 10. ten years. Oh God, you win.
0: Yeah, sorry, <laughs> but uh, not as many rejections as Mallory Blackman. So she wins. Um, how many, how many rejections? I think it's 83. 83. It's definitely in the 80s. You win, Mallory. You win, Mallory. Yeah. <laughs> Children's laureate, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, lots of different ways in. But if you want, if you want the classic route, um, well, I got published via a competition. So I was published without really? An agent. Really,
1: I didn't know you won a competition. Ah, I
0: won the Times Chicken House competition, which still is running, and that was in two. I ended in two thousand and eight, won it in early two thousand and nine and was edited and published by kind of August, 2009. And that felt so endlessly slow at the time and was actually warp speed for publishing, (laughs) looking back. Yeah, it took us, oh, I don't know, a couple of months to do the editing and then it was all printing and marketing. And yeah, it was insanely quick actually. But yes, it was published before I had an, an agent and I got one off the back of that, but that was unusual, still recommend entering competitions but I wanted an agent but normally the way to do it would be to get the agent first don't you think if you want to
1: I got an agent because I won a competition too okay. yeah so I entered this competition called the undiscovered voices yes the scooby competition it's the scooby scbwi we call it scooby uh, and and uh, you had to submit a uh, sample three chapters a synopsis um when I entered you weren't required to have written the book Oh. Um but the year after they realized when when the agents all swe- <laughs> all came down on this book and wanted the the real books, um nobody had written their books, so they they changed the rules to say you can only enter if you 've already written the book
0: makes sense I think, and I got an agent off the back of that Lovely.
1: um the my my agent had al- already had a manuscript that i'd submitted and um She'd read it and I guess she didn't like it. But she rang me up and she said, I saw your sample in the Undiscovered Voices. Um, Can I see the rest of this one? And uh, she took me on on the back of that. And then we had two to three years, two years, two years of rejections, two novels and two years of rejections.
0: Oh, my goodness. So the
1: book that won, nobody wanted it. And then she said, "Do you have another book?" And I had that uh, a, a book about a, a kid. Oh, the the one that I wrote about the volcano. Yes. And she then worked on that, and that wasn't taken on. And the whole time, I had already th- I would already kind of gone into this mode where. I just want to write. I knew why I wanted to write. I wanted to write because I wanted to tell a story. I stopped thinking of writing as being linked to be, getting published. Uh-huh. And it was great having an agent. It was like good for my ego. Yeah. But I wasn't really, I really didn't believe that she would get me published. I mean, the rejections kept coming in. The good news was she got rejected. <laughs> I didn't have to see the rejections. But I was yeah. busy writing this other book. And that was the book that eventually got published.
0: That was tall story. That was
1: tall story.
0: I think that's the thing, a writer is someone who writes, I'm quoting, and it seems obvious, but I think that is the thing. A writer is not someone who just wants to get published, because probably you will get knocked back so many times that it will drive you crazy. You, yes, you have to be doing it for the love of it, I think, to keep going through all of that. The same for me as well, during my 10 years of not getting published. Um... And, and that's something I hadn't really thought of. But I, I hear this story over and over again. It's hard to get an agent. Again, don't look at stats because they are terrifying. But agents get hundreds of emails a day. And they take on two or three people a year. And even when you get the agent, you could still spend a couple of years waiting for your big break. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tip of the iceberg thing, isn't
1: it? I have a lot of sympathy for agents um, because... But at the same time, I think it's not that hard because (laughs) a lot of, you know, a lot of writers are really careless when they submit to an agent. Let's just be honest. You finish a book. You're so excited. You've done it. You've finished an entire novel. And then you post it directly. You don't even reread it. You just send it off. You don't even check it for typos. And what I've heard from agents is... You know, sometimes they just have to read the first paragraph to know that this person is not a contender.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes they just know it from the cover letter. If it if you if you're writing dear sir or madam, if you if you've included some squishy cake in it that's gone really funny. Um yeah, if it's full of spelling mistakes and grammatical errors, um, you've already lost the If battle. you say
1: something like, this is going to be the next Harry Potter, I mean, that's probably <laughs> going to make them roll their eyes.
0: <laughs> They've probably heard it before.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it, uh, you know, a lot of us, uh, well, I, I've done it too, so I can say this, is that um, we're we're really stupid because the whole process of writing a book is a creative one and it's uplifting and it makes you feel like magic. And so when you finish a book, you're not in the right state. You have to, what you've got to do is put it in a drawer, allow the magic to disappear and drift away, and then read it with cold and clear eyes so that you can see what what the agent actually sees the agent doesn't have the magic of the of and the rush of having just finished writing a book the yeah. agent doesn't doesn't see it the way you do so you've got to allow time to pass so that you have that clear-eyed uh, you know that clear-eyed point of view
0: i didn't do that to start with also i didn't believe agents when they said send me the first 3 chapters or the first 50 pages <laughs> i thought I'm sure that's what they normally want, but in the case of my book, they really want the first 10 chapters because that's kind of the amount that makes sense, and they will be so grateful that they'll be glad that I sent them so much. And that is not true. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> <Not> I, true. <laughs> I used to think,
1: oh, they, they probably want this to, to, to have the whole manuscript plus my 10 picture books that, yeah. you know,
0: it's, no, no, yeah. no, it, it's... And they it took... really, if they say they want it double lines-based, they're not joking. They really do. And if they want it in a particular font, they're still not joking. Well, they how really long do. did it
1: take you to realize that this whole thing is a business?
0: <sighs> I... My Bible was the Writers and Artists Yearbook. And eventually I read enough essays in that book to begin to understand it from the agent's point of view. And then I started doing exactly what I was told. Having said that, I have just submitted to an agent. And I know that this agent is not going to read what I've submitted because I submitted it to the wrong email address. (laughs) Because I was so paranoid about doing it perfectly and it's in the right font and it's double lines based and it's only three chapters that I didn't see the email address thing. So I'm really sympathetic to people (laughs) who make catastrophic small mistakes.
1: But but, you know the the thing is we all do it don't we? I mean we we all uh, like the fully illustrated uh, cover letter. I've done that.
0: Oh, have you? Yeah. Some things can make a difference. I mean, it's really good to show that you've connected with an agent, I think, in your letter. It's good to let your personality through. And if you do something that's relevant, I think if you're a teacher, from my experience of teaching, I think if you're a teacher, say, because I think teachers on the whole write good children's books because they talk to children all the time and they know what children like and they've, they've got the pace and the humour and all of that. So I think that's worth mentioning. Um yeah, there there are things that are worth doing um but yes, bribery and um or threats, both of which have been tried, not great. Being
1: noticed for the wrong reasons.
0: Yeah, you don't really Sending want
1: a, a full color photograph of yourself in your bikini. <laughs> I didn't do that.
0: No, I hope you didn't. Um so yeah, you should do do what they say. It's really as simple as that. Do what they say make yourself engaging and keep the, the cover letter to a page and, and synopsis, keep it short. There's a thing, so they will ask you for a synopsis of your book. They really don't want to see the whole thing. They haven't got time. They will know from the first few chapters whether it's interesting or not. Um, but a synopsis is not the same as a chapter outline. So they don't want six pages of how you plotted the book. They want a... Uh, a sense of what it's about don't you think
1: you know a synopsis is like a um, a test yeah of whether you know story structure mhm I only realize it now because I didn't know story structure um, when I was er, when in the early days of submitting. I didn't really know about the three act structure, or the midpoint, or the the doors of no return, and all of those things that slowly filtered into my consciousness as I began, as I learned about how to write a story. Yeah, um, and so my synopsis were all really dense. They were trying to be funny. They were trying to be the blurb in the back of the book, which is fine, but I didn't want to reveal the ending of the story. And actually, in a synopsis, you, you probably do. That's
0: a really interesting one. We'll come back to that one.
1: Yeah. And, and so I, I didn't know how to write a synopsis. And and I wanted to tell her every single detail in the story. So it was pages and pages of it. Yeah. And actually, if you can't tell your story, if you can't tell the bare bones of your story in a synopsis, then you probably don't understand story structure.
0: Yeah. so you need to be able to encapsulate it probably in a page you don't need to go down every um, subplot or whatever that you might have you still need to give a sense of the main characters in it though Um, it's interesting what you say about the ending because again I, I wrote my first seven synopses for Barry and Barry absolutely likes to know what happens at the end because he wants to know that a writer knows how to structure the whole thing But um, I was recently talking to Annie Eaton, who was an editor for many, many years at Random House and Penguin, and she was saying she doesn't always like to know the very ending. She likes that sense of surprise when she reads the final manuscript, and she doesn't like that to be taken away. So she likes a sense of the way it's going, but just holding short of exactly what happens so i guess people are different <laughs> really. people
1: are different but i think the synopsis plays a key role in getting a book accepted because yeah. it, it because it really does show your skill as a writer it shows that you understand structure that you that the that the weight of each act is appropriate to the importance of what's happening you know you don't have like uh, act one is not does not continue on for three quarters of the story and yes. then act two and three is only the last last quarter you know it's uh, then that story is really weirdly balanced or you
0: haven't saved everything for the final pages yeah which I've seen people do as well I mean, you don't have to tell
1: every single thing that happens in the story, but you have to give a sense that this story is compelling, that it's going to have a really uh, humdinger of an ending, that the characters drive the narrative. You have to show all of that in a in a in a, a synopsis. and, and th- that's story structure.
0: And I think it's very difficult to do it entirely by yourself and get it right. I wouldn't send a synopsis off now without getting somebody else to cast their eye over it. Because I think, I mean, I certainly get to a wood for the trees situation where I know my story so well that I can't really tell anymore whether I'm describing it in a way that's exciting, that's compelling, that has that kind of thrust to it that it needs. So yeah, I always get somebody else to look at it for me and see what they think. Do you?
1: Um, no, no, I don't. But. Um, I remember when I attended my, I went to a, a workshop on writing synopsis, oh, which was one heart of the that. smartest things I've ever done. It was uh, given by uh, an author called Lee Weatherly. Oh, anybody? Yeah, yeah. yeah, Lee's Lee's fanta- gives fantastic workshops, but she had this chart. This it's a chart, a diagram of a synopsis. Mm-hmm. Basically, the the synopsis was the three act structure. Okay. And it, I had this light bulb go off on, above my head. Where I could, Oh my god that's how you write a story there is a, that's the you know the, the 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 you you saw the the peaks and troughs of a story you saw the rug pulling moment you saw the denouement and how it how the action falls i was like i haven't been writing like that oh, and i went back to my story and i looked over it and i had all the pieces i just hadn't put them in the right order
0: i think i want to see that it sounds great um. So, yeah, so you're, you're going to get your cover letter sorted, absolutely tailored to the exact agents that you want. And you're probably going to submit to more than one agent, aren't you? Because agents can comfortably sit on a book for, well, the chapters that you've sent for weeks because they're very busy people. Um.
1: I don't know. I, I, I went through a phase of doing that. Yeah. And if you submit to, like, five agents in one go, you then have, at the end of the week five rejections in one <laughs> go. And it was so devastating that it took me ages to get up the courage to to submit again. Um, I didn't want to experience that feeling of utter failure. And I didn't, lo- you know, the thing about being rejected is it's not just that you failed. It's not like someone said, no, you can't do that. It's that you've written something and you've poured your your heart and soul into it. And then it's, discarded by the most important person who could open the door for you yeah. and so that 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 trauma is is it's quite devastating and i knew that if i submitted it to some agent and that agent rejected me i wouldn't be able to write for as long as i didn't submit i could write so i hesitated and hesitated i didn't submit uh-huh. i wrote lots of things and i didn't submit and then finally i thought okay i'm going to get up the courage and I submitted to Hilary Delamere of the agency and oh, wow. partly because she's the agent of Mal- Mallory Blackman yeah. and a, and various other um, authors of color. <laughs> and I thought, you know, someone who's taken on people who are not pink skinned probably might read my story. Yeah. And I, I sent it in and I didn't hear from her for months and months and months. That is the thing. And I didn't mind because for as long as I didn't hear her, I could write because I wasn't I wasn't, I hadn't been rejected. (laughs) And then I won the Undiscovered Voices and I did hear from her and she took me on.
0: That's lovely.
1: I I do get troubled sometimes because there is um, with, uh, like uh, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, we have, you know, members are published and a lot of the members are not published. And there's a little bit of a focus sometimes uh, amongst the unpublished people in the stuff that is not important. So there's a lot of training to do pitches, pitching to agents, um, writing the first chapter, writing the first line of a story. And from my experience, it isn't the first line of a story that sells the book. Yes, it does hook the agent into reading the the manuscript. But what gets you published is how you write the whole thing. (laughs) And what we need is... More, more uh, craft masterclasses on how to write a whole novel, not just parts of the novel, so that somebody will pick it up. And I yes. think there should be more, more attention to that because that's that's at the end of the day. Once you get through the agent hoop, you will become an author writing books, and you need to know how to write all the parts of the novel yeah. because that's what the the public is going to be reading. And you need to have
0: to write them quite fast because it's probably taken you years to perfect your first submission uh, certainly if you're doing it right it probably has and then you have months to do the next one and once that's and while you're doing it this amazing thing has happened and a publisher has taken you on and your dreams have come true and so I think it's a bit like sort of being pregnant and you can't really imagine what happens after you have the baby because it's just way down the line or planning a wedding and you can't imagine the day after you come back from the honeymoon um so this incredible thing has happened and it's Brilliant because you have to do marketing. People want you to sign books, they want you to do interviews. Uh, and you're doing all of that, and at the same time you're writing the next one. And before you were doing that in your own time, nobody knew, and now the pressure is on, and it's got to be done, and then it's got to be redone, and then it's got to be redone, and then it's got to be redone, and then you've got to do the next one. Um so you No, I
1: I remember (laughs) when I wasn't when I was still aspiring how much I looked forward to promoting my book. I was looking forward (laughs) to all the great things I would do as a uh, a published author. You know, I could blog about this, make this website, make this graphic, do a poster. I was so excited about those things. And actually, I should have just focused on the story.
0: It's the story (laughs) that gets you published. So if you are finding that you're writing draft after draft of book after book, actually what you're doing is teaching yourself the craft of story writing, hopefully, and that's your, I couldn't agree with you more, that's what you need. There's a lot that is procrastination, I think. Um, and yeah, the sheer practice, exactly as you say, I think Neil Gaiman would agree, and he says finish things, That the practice of writing from start to finish, from start to finish, is that's a really important thing. Otherwise, you get people who are really good at doing an amazingly enticing first act, and then they get bored, or then they get distracted, and they never know <laughs> I'd, oh, no. I'd be connected to another one and then to another You see one. those books all the time. There yeah. are a lot of people who are great starters
1: and their, their endings leave you slightly wanting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you don't want to be that kind that person because, you know what what readers really love about a book? When they come away from a book saying, wow, that was a great book, the last thing they remember is the ending. Yeah, And And you want an ending that would make them go away going, I, I didn't want it to end, I wanted more. One of the things I've, I realized very soon after being published was that I belong to a different world now. You know, in the old world, when I was an aspiring author, it was all about craft and writing and we, we were interested in different things. Once you're in the world of the author, of the children's author, you have to be, the, the world is all about literacy. There's a lot of education, talking about education, talking about books, talking about reading for pleasure and it might be a world that you do not know if you don't have children or if you weren't paying attention when your children were in school, like I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> you might have to understand all of these things. One of, one of the things that surprised me when I got published was, it turns out I'm a BAME author, B-A-M-E, Black, Asian, Minority, Ethnic. Yes. So I guess I'm the minority ethnic part. <laughs> um, and I got invited to all of these BAME panels, and I had to talk about being BAME Mm-hmm. and uh the thing is, you know, I didn't really know how it was to be bame um so I had to study it i i i didn't i had not lived in this country long enough to to really understand what the problem what what racism was and mm-hmm. what it meant and so i i did a lot of i actually sat down and did research and read a lot and um and today as the as the issues start to stack, you know we've now got own voices we've got we need diverse books. We've got uh, representing realities. Um, and we are all going to be asked about those things. And you, you can't get away with not being able to have a, an opinion. You need to yeah. know what, where you stand in all of these things and be able to talk about it because you will be asked. So this is one of the things you've got to do is to bone up the Is bone up a good word? (laughs) It's to skill up, skill up, yes. Learn how to talk
0: about these issues. And it gives you an opportunity to change somebody's mind about something important maybe at some point, educate somebody. So yeah, it can be a, a useful thing.
1: I thought my years of blogging, um where i i would take something happening in the children's book world and then come up with an opinion about it and just write about mm. report it and have an opinion about it. it was really really useful because it it kind of uh, built up a kind of knowledge i had a knowledge about uh children's book the children's book world and i knew how to go about learning about this new world that i had entered um and i I think that it's it's really important because we it's not the same as adult writing for adults is it no it's
0: two two fairly separate worlds It's separate
1: um. worlds and the and the children's world is a it's it's um what's the word it's it's uh it's transformational. what you say yeah. could be transformation it could change lives so it's so important that we children's authors um do the right thing by our readers.
0: Send there because that's such a lovely thought. Thank you so much, Candy. It's been really lovely talking to you.
1: It's been great.
0: Thank (laughs) you. I'd like to thank Christopher Pett for editing and producing this episode of Pre-Published. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We'd love suggestions for future themes and guests too. You can also join us on Twitter at Pre-Pub Podcast. And find me at my website, which is sophiabennett.com.